Hey guys, this is Danny, the lead pastor at Swerve Church, and I'm so thankful that you're tuning in to the podcast today. I hope that the message that you're about to listen to will be extremely encouraging and uplifting, and honestly, I pray and hope that it's challenging to you as well. I want to invite you to join us Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Or I want to invite you to join us live online on Sundays at 11 a.m. on our Facebook or YouTube page. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I pray that you are Encouraged by today's message. Last week we kicked off a new series called Text that has everything to do with the Holy Bible. And I'm so excited about it. I really hope you are as well because, guys, we are Bible people, right? We love God's Word and truly believe that it has the power to change and transform lives. Uh, by the way, I meant to mention this last week, but Bible comes from the Greek word biblios, which means book. And holy means to be set apart. So when we read the Bible, we believe it to be a book set apart by God containing the very words of God. And did you know this? The Bible is the best-selling book of all time, having sold over 5 billion copies. Did you know that the Bible is also the most stolen book of all time? And how about this? It's also the most burned book of all time, but has survived persecution time and time again. Now, I don't know about you, but that says something to me. What makes this book so special that it would be under such attack and scrutiny? And what's behind it that would allow it to still stand today? Could it be that what the scriptures say of itself is actually true? That the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. So guys, I want you to get excited about the Bible. I want you to love the Bible. I want you to study the Bible. In fact, as a church, we want to help you with this, and we're doing it through Swerview. And if you haven't plugged in, you're welcome to join in on the conversation. And here's the thing. It's not just about the content, though we have, uh, we're going through some amazing content and at a seminary level, uh, but it's, it's the conversation that we can have around what we're learning. It's the questions that we can ask. It's learning together in community. That's what makes it special. So for today, I want to center us around one particular text, and it's found in the first half of Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And here's what it says. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. And this is what I want for us today. For the word of Christ to dwell richly among you. This is what I want for you. I want the word to deeply permeate your soul, to really get inside of you. It's kind of like this. I have this cup with hot water here, and some of you are tea drinkers. If you take this cup of hot water and drop a bag of tea in it for a few seconds, it changes the color of the water just a little bit, but you still don't have tea. It's not until the bag of tea dwells richly within the hot water that now you have tea. So here's what we're going to do today. I've got some super practical tools for us to help, uh, help get the Word of God to dwell richly among us. So you might want to write this down and follow along. It's super practical. I think this is going to be really, really helpful for you today. And here's the first thing. Number one is to get a translation of the Bible that you like. One of the most common pushbacks Christians receive about the Bible is that it's not trustworthy because the contents have been lost in translation. That the Bible that we hold in our hands has been adapted and changed so many times that it's actually unreliable. People think it's kind of like the game of telephone where one person whispers uh, something into someone's ear and then they whisper what they heard into someone else's ear and on and on it goes. 
Uh, that at the end of the game, what, what the last person heard was completely different than what the first person communicated or what the first person said. But nothing could be further from the truth. Guys, that's, that's not how translations happen. You see, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible wasn't written in English. Right? The Bible isn't actually one book. It's 66 books written by 40-some-odd authors over the span of 1,600-plus years in predominantly three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So we had to have the Bible translated in order for us to be able to read and understand it into a language that we can understand. So why do we have so many English translations? The answer to that, honestly, is because we are extremely, extremely blessed. There's still places in the world that are yet to have a translation of the Bible in their native tongue. It's estimated that over 2,000 languages and over 300 million people do not have access to God's Word. But here in the States and other English-speaking countries, we're debating about which translations are best. In fact, chances are that at home, not only do you have multiple Bibles, but you probably have multiple translations as well. So, well, here's how translations work. When scholars translate the Bible, they don't go to an already translated Bible to do the work. They go to the original texts. By the way, the Bible far surpasses copies of manuscripts of any historical literature of any genre. This includes the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So you can go to the oldest manuscripts and test the accuracy of the translation. So then, why do we have so many English translations? And which is the best translation for you? Well, let me help you understand translations a little bit. We, we can basically categorize translations into one of three categories. And you can write this down under letter A. The first one is formal equivalency, or you can call this word-for-word -word translations. Okay, now this, this would include translations such as the King James Version, the New King James Version, which is a, a newer version of the original, the New American Standard Bible, and the English Standard Version. By the way, I really love the ESV myself. And these are translations that are closest in relation to word-for-word -word translation of the original text. Sometimes these translations can be difficult to read either because they use Old English or because sometimes what was written originally was trying to communicate a thought or idea that our English vocabulary just comes up short. Okay, next you have under letter B, you can write this down, that is functional equivalency. You can also call this thought-for-thought -thought translations. So under this, it would include translations such as the, Living, the New Living Translation, the Good News Bible, today's English version, the New International Version, which happens to be the most popular translation to date. And these translations take into account what the author was attempting to communicate through the text. And in return, these translations tend to be much easier to read, uh, which is why they're such popular translations uh, more than likely, these are some of the translations you have at home. By the way, if you wonder what we use here at Swerve, at Swerve we use the Christian Standard Bible. Okay? It sits in the gap between word for word and thought for thought. So we find it to be both very accurate to the original text with the readability of a thought for thought translation, which is why we love to use it. Lastly, as far as categories of translations, you have under letter C, paraphrase. Okay, now this would include the message translation, the contemporary English version, and the living Bible. Unlike the other translations that we've mentioned, these versions are actually interpreted from English translations. So we wouldn't treat them necessarily with the, with the reverence that we would the other translations. 
Now, they can be very helpful in helping you understand the Bible, uh, but, but these would fit maybe more under the distinction of being more for like devotional reading. But because they're interpreted by people from the text, they can have missing pieces or they can read into the text some or even skew to a certain theological persuasion. So these wouldn't serve as your primary source for Bible reading and study, I would say, but more like an additional resource or for some extra insight. So which is the best translation for you? Well, I encourage you to try and read several translations to discover which one helps you read the Bible and understand it. We have, an immense, we have the immense blessing of having the Bible app, which is, allows you to read all these different translations all for free right on your phone. There's also websites like Bible Gateway that allow you to compare various translations side by side. In fact, many times when I, in my sermon prep time, I'll have multiple translations open to help me have a well-rounded understanding of the text that I'm studying and I'm trying to exposit. So the first practical thing is to get you a translation of the Bible you like. If you're looking for a personal recommendation, why not try the CSB? It's the one that we read most frequently from here at Swerve. The second helpful resource is to, number two, get a study Bible. Get you a study Bible. Now, study Bibles also come in all the different translations, but they're usually a lot bigger, real thick, because they provide all these extra references and commentary and diagrams and such to help you have an even deeper understanding of the text, of the culture, and the context. There are study Bibles geared towards leadership, study Bibles geared towards youth, men, women, even some that are geared towards apologetics and defending your faith. All the resources and articles can be extremely helpful in increasing your understanding of what you're reading. Personally, at home, I have an ESV, a CSB, and an HCSB study Bible. I find them to be especially helpful when I'm working my way through books of the Bible. So if you want to go even deeper in your study of the Bible, get you a study Bible in the translation that you enjoy and I think it's going to be a really helpful tool in helping you understand the text. The next practical advice for us today is number three, to discuss the Bible with others. Discuss the Bible with others. And this is so important because there's so much that we can learn in the context of community. Because the Word of God is living and active. There may be something that you're learning that can be a help and a resource to me and vice versa. I think that there's also an important accountability factor that takes place when we discuss the Bible with others. It's an additional safeguard to make sure that what we're understanding from the text is what God intended to communicate and that we're not coming up with false doctrine and beliefs, which is very dangerous. This is why as a church, we created space for Swerve You so that we can learn and grow together. And sometimes what we're grappling with is super challenging and that's okay, but we're neck deep into God's word and we're doing it together. And it's the same thing with life groups. This is when we provide space to eat together, to pray with and for one another, and to discuss what we're learning from God's word. And to give you guys something to look forward to, we plan on kicking off our spring semester in May, so be on the lookout for that. I'm excited about it, and I hope you are too. All of this is to help you saturate yourself and immerse yourself into the word of God so that the word of Christ may dwell richly within you. And if you do this enough, you'll become like this tea. When you leave the tea bag long enough in the water, it converts the water into a hot cup of tea. Now it smells like tea. It tastes like tea. It becomes tea. 
And that's what I want for each of us, to be in the Bible so that the word of Christ may dwell richly among us. Because here's the truth. You will become whatever you allow into your life. So what are you allowing into your life? What are the things and who are the people that you give priority to that shape you, that influence you? And can you honestly look into the mirror and say that you like who you're becoming? Some of you have allowed the voice of culture to shape your thinking, to dictate your actions. You've succumbed to the pressure and pull of culture and have allowed that into your life. And as a result, that's what you're becoming. More and more like culture and reflecting less and less the kingdom culture that Christ calls us to live. Some of you have allowed the voice of the things that you watch, the things you listen to, into your life. And then you wonder why you experience the urges and the desires that you do, or why you have the emotional responses that you do, or why you walk around angry all the time. It's because you become whatever you allow into your life. And when you allow the word of God into your life, it has the power to pierce through and bring forth God's truth made alive in and through you. It empowers you to live a life emboldened and founded upon the word of God. So what are you allowing into your life? Now, for the rest of our time, I want to wrap it up this way. I want to try to tackle the question, what is the Bible all about? Because here's the temptation. There's the temptation to believe that the Bible is all about you. and Put yourself in the beginning, the middle, and the end of every verse, passage, chapter, and book of the Bible. We skew towards having a very self-centric reading of the Bible. I'll teach you two terms real quickly. Okay, First is eisegesis. And this is interpretation of a text by reading into it one's own ideas. In other words, it's approaching the Bible and putting it into your own thoughts and opinions, causing you to conform the Word of God into fitting into your particular worldview. This is when you approach the Bible with your political lens, with your cultural lens, with your social lens, or whatever biased lens that you have, and insert that perspective into the text and interpret it to fit your opinion or persuasion. The other word is narcissus. This is the explanation of the Bible in a way that shows excessive interest in oneself. Reading the Bible with this perspective puts you at the center of every text. With this lens, you think you're Moses, the chosen one to deliver God's people, that you're Abraham deserving the promised land and the blessing. You're David ready to slay giants and sit on your throne as king. You're Joseph and everyone around you is betraying you and you're sold into slavery. But guys, the Bible isn't about us. No doubt everything in it is for us and for our good, for our blessing, but we are not at the center of the Bible. And if you can get this, this will help you tremendously with your study of the Bible. So if we're not the subject of the Bible, then who is? You can write this down. The subject of the Bible is Jesus. And this is what Jesus said of himself in John chapter 5. I love this passage. We read it last week. Let's read it again in John chapter 5. Jesus said, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. Jesus is saying in this verse that the scriptures all point to him. And this is what we're trying to get across as we study the Old Testament in Swerve View, that ultimately the entirety of the Bible points to one direction, to the cross, to Jesus, to, the, to, to what he would do, to who he is, to the redemption he purchased by his blood on Calvary. So when we read the text, we want to figure out 
what, how what we're reading fits into the meta-narrative of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he will do in God's redemptive work through him. So if Jesus is the subject of the Bible, then who is the object? Well, the object of the Bible is you. Ultimately, the scriptures point to God's redemption of mankind through the most unthinkable way. God putting on human flesh, entering his own creation, keeping the letter of the law because we are incapable of doing so, absorbing the wrath and judgment our sins deserve, dying as a sacrifice in our place and conquering Satan's sin and death through his resurrection so that we might be granted forgiveness of sin, new life, eternity, and to be welcomed into the family of God. And God did all of that for you out of his immense love for you. Because our sin and brokenness created a chasm between us and him. But God couldn't bear to have you away from his presence. He couldn't bear the thought of not having you with him. So certainly the object of the Bible is you. God pursues you. And by the way, some of you, God is recklessly pursuing right now. He's stirring something deep down in your heart. He's saying, you feel that? You have questions, doubts, and fears. You have trouble understanding and rationalizing, but you cannot deny the feeling of the immense passion and love that I have for you. And he's calling you to himself right now. But then what is the verb of the Bible? A verb is an action word. So what's the verb that we see throughout the scriptures? You might think it's love and you're really, really close, but look at John 3, 16. It says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The verb of the Bible is give. God, loved, God so loved you and me that he gave us Jesus. And because he gave Jesus and because Jesus gave us of his life on the cross, for anyone who receives that gift will have eternal life. And many of you, of course, you know John 3, 16. But have you ever read 1 John 3.16? Let's read it together. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus gave of himself. And through his giving, we know what love is. So then what is our only reasonable response? That we give ourselves to others. So do you live your life in light of this reality that because we are loved by God and because Jesus gave his life for us so that we can be forgiven, that we in turn will lay down our lives in submission to the one who gave it all. This is what the Bible is all about. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us in the study of your word to understand, to interpret, and to apply what we read. Help us see that at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus and that we might make it all about Him. Thank you for giving of yourself. Help us live the same way, that as you gave, we may give and live generously towards others. The only reasonable response that we have is to give our lives is to worship unto you. Thank you for the sacrifice of Christ, for the forgiveness of sin and the newness of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. 
want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together. Let's get together. Let's worship God together. Let's learn and grow together. Let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?